Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Henley-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often this hidden journey, uncovered through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and then the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed, full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Olav Eriksson, the Chief Product Officer at Plio. Our conversation focuses on the intersection between relationships and decision-making. We discuss how Olov prioritizes inputs over outputs. He explains how to use and understand your emotions to make big professional decisions. And we discuss the topic of fear, how it can drive us, hinder us, and help us navigate our working journey. I've realized as I've grown older that I'm, I'm, I'm very much run by my emotions. And, and my thesis is that most people are. We, we, we feel certain things about certain people, for example, about certain things, and we make up reasons or a rationalization for why uh, that is true. So the decision is not usually rational, it's, it's emotionally based. And the judgment is usually not rational, it's emotionally based and then rationally motivated. And I've seen this a lot in myself, we think a lot about that when we build our products. And I think I have a numerous example in my work life. I think the easiest is, is often with colleagues, right? So one um, one example could be that when I joined Plio, we had an, an engineer who was a fantastic engineer. And I had all these changes I wanted to make. And he was really the only guy pushing back. And I didn't think he pushed back, and I didn't like that he pushed back. A little bit. I was more more junior back then, uh, and I also felt maybe the way he wasn't doing was pushing back, and and this led me to to view more of his actions, more than his pushbacks, in a negative light, right, and and make certain assumptions about beyond the actual things he was saying. And what happened was that after time, we also got, you know, we started to more connect on the personal level. And the relational level, and me starting to understand his background and his motivations, and he understood me and my background and motivations, and and my feelings about this person completely shifted, and I've and, and that also made me view all of his other actions in a completely different light, and I've had this so many times with people where where I made a judgment of them or or whatnot based on a few interactions, and then I have a few like more like personal moments where where we connect. And, and I start liking this person more. And I see my entire world build this person change based on so little interactions. And the, the beauty in this is like when you become more aware of it, it's easier, at least for me, to, to, to it's hard to, to ignore, but at least makes it easier for me to, to I think, make better decisions. And, and maybe to wrap up the story with this, this engineer, it's, he's left the company now. But he's the he's the one person that I that I keep in contact and I talk with every month. He left two and a half years ago, so I think also going through things like that. Yeah, I think there's two points. One is the the emotional part and like being aware of it, but also going through this and, and connecting deeper also tends to lead to the best relationships, right? 
So maybe those are the, the two points I, I'm, I'm, I was trying to make. Also, it sounds like you not you use that re- some relationships that are easy. You don't learn a whole lot about yourself, um, but the relationships that are more challenging, they often give you a different perspective of your own self and uh, your your own being. Yeah, definitely. And fuck, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm being a bit incoherent here. First, I was talking about like made decision making, then about relationship building, but but. I think I agree with you, and and that's something I, I've also I think tried learned at Plio that we are we are taught a lot and talked a lot about like how you interact with people on both of the the per like you have like three levels you have the professional level and then you have the relational level and you have the personal level the personal is just yourself All right then being aware of you know your personal emotions in certain situations and how your relations with other people if we focus a lot on on developing that the, the two lower levels and then the professional levels becomes so easy uh, be, because relating back to my earlier point if if we want to handle professional topics and you have the feelings underlying on the relational level that really impact your judgment also on the professional side because you will start seeing things that that person do in a too negative or too positive light, for example. Um, or you don't you don't find ways to really cooperate and build on each other. You rather try to maybe find faults just in the other person's argument instead of taking good parts of their ideas and build on it. So, so to me, a lot of a lot of what we focus on in, in our management team here and and at Plio in general is just like the professional is easy if you solve the. The, the relational one and, and you are a bit aware of your own emotions well it's interesting how we spend so much time reflecting on decision making in our professional journey and how we make decisions to be a part of this company or be a part of that company but in essence like a company is just a i guess a group of relationships it is just a group of people and the decision that you're making is completely reliant on the relationships that are out that you're kind of deciding to you're effectively deciding to join into their relationships it's, it's not like you're deciding to kind of i don't know eat some food or uh read a book like you're deciding to proactively engage in a new relationship so the nature of your own relationships and how you deal with them is is and understanding them and being aware of them is such an important part of your decision making i think i, I agree i think they're all these kind of wonderful frameworks by by Bezos and others, like, you know, is the decision reversible or not? And, you know, uh, those types of things, you know, uh, how fast you should take it. And I think all of them are are, are correct and they're good and, and we try to apply them where we can. But but I think they're not complete without the, the psychological aspect of it. And, and I think that's sometimes what's missed in those things because I think that is often the largest part of, I think, in mistakes in a relationship or in, in, in not reaching optimal decisions because you end up fighting each other in a non-constructing way, trying to get your way and trying to be right, trying to claim your status or whatever it might be, instead of really, really working together to get the best decision. To me, that is probably more important than all of those frameworks. Um, so, so the... Blood is probably something I think about a lot in, in decision making. You know, am I am I too influenced by these things to see things clearly? How do you know if a 
relationship is going to be one that's productive for you because they kind of wrap themselves up sometimes in the ones that don't look like they will be like, like your example no so, so i think in most cases it, it is possible I, I found even when i felt it's it's really really difficult because we have such different worldviews or or such different backgrounds or or understanding of things but, but I would argue, like, when really tried, always succeeded if, if like, two core things are true. That, that that person's intentions are good and, and they're honest. If, uh, you know, that, then, then at least my experience, you can overcome most things. You can find the common ground. You can understand, you know, I want the best for Pleo and I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you. But if, uh, then you will often find the common ground and you can, you know, trace back to, okay, well, you are trying to accomplish this. I'm also trying to accomplish this, but through this way and, and, and whatnot. But if you end up dealing with a person who, who for whatever reason has bad intent or, uh, or, or simply not honest. That then I then I usually don't find it worth the time. It's really using, interesting you said that. Cause I, I mean, I ref, as you were saying, it was busy reflecting on like how I come across in circumstances and how I uh, talk to people or or want to want to go about doing things. And I'd say that my intentions, I, I you know, it's easy to reflect and say that they're good, but are, are good and. Uh, that I'm truthful, honest, and spit the truth. But there are definitely also circumstances where I, 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 I care about the other person. I worry about the other person, and so I will kind of. It could, it, it, intentions and honesty doesn't in, doesn't involve empathy, and the empathy can sometimes kind of warp you out a bit to the point where it makes the relationship harder because you're if both parties are constantly being empathetic trying to imagine what the other person is feeling then no one is you're kind of like you're creating this middle layer that's just not needed if the intentions are good and you're willing to be truthful yeah that's a good that's a good point i find i think empathy is a great thing uh, to, to to be sure yeah, we should count yeah. that yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I've also found myself, and and probably not to the empathy itself, but like in, in a way where I, I look at a situation and I understand why someone acted the way they did, or maybe I found something in this situation that I could have done better. I'll, I have to. I think I've found myself both in professional life and in personal life too often using that to excuse the other person behavior or results or whatever it might be. Um, and it's like, yeah, well, I could have done this better. Doesn't, doesn't mean that the other person also couldn't have done something better. Um, or just because I understand why you chose to do that way, I still expected you to do better or, or different. And, and that is something I think, at least that that's what's came to mind when you talk about empathy. I think empathy is good. But I think empathy sometimes combined with maybe a fear of conflict or, or overused to, to kind of understand or excuse others' behavior usually doesn't lead to the best outcomes. No, and fear of conflict can really get in the way when you're trying to see the truth of a 
uh, a decision that you need to make at work or or whether you are genuinely happy or, or whether you want to pursue a different project or not because your your fear of conflict and your worry can really put you off getting anywhere close to a decision or anywhere near the truth you just kind of avoid it yeah yeah i agree i, agree. I think fear, fear of conflict is i think fear in general honestly rules so much of us in in good and bad ways now I'll diverting a bit from the fear of conflict but that's another thing i think for myself and i think for a lot of people that you know fear is a strong driver right the fear of like you know not succeeding not looking great in other people's eyes not making the career or whatever it might be getting fired or 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 stuff like that i definitely find myself having all those anxieties and and often like turn that into action which is not necessarily has been bad for my career it's pushed me to work hard it's pushed me to solve problems it's pushed me to go the extra mile and and you know both yeah, to accomplish to get rid of that fear in the moment but but it's also a way that maybe makes you a little bit unhappy over time. And and, and I found that myself in my career at my last job, it's like, I, you know, I'd gotten pretty far. I was like a director of product, running a successful product. And I was like, I got the made decent amount of money. And it's like, you know, why do I go around spending my days being scared? Right? What kind of life is that? Yeah. Uh, and and I think that's driven a lot of my career, and, and, and I imagine many others. Kind of like this this insecurity turned into action, in a way. And uh, that's been a very journey for me the last few years. It's like, well, you know, what other things really do motivate me? You know, seeing people grow, building something that lasts, or or other more positive emotions that that motivates you. Oh, it's hard yeah. to let go of though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's easy to conjure up fears, right? But but also the same same principle there, like being aware of them takes away a little bit of the edge for me at least. And it's like, okay, well, okay, this is actually why I'm doing this. It feels kind of silly, uh, but but of course it doesn't go away. And we'll want to believe that we could have got to the you know you could have got to the director of product of a successful company by not being fearful you you want to believe that the drive could have come from a different place from a place of light not dark but is it really is it really is it there is it possible could you have done that i i, I believe so i think i i honestly believe that motivations can come from different 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 things right and i think as long as you have it you know, you should you, you you can harvest it, and I think some motivations make you happier than others. So, so I'm I'm not saying that fear is a better motivator than, than others. I'm probably saying it's the worst one for your personal health. Um, not necessarily like it does cloud your judgment sometimes. I don't think it, it's it's the best one. But uh, yeah, I, if I personally believe it's, it's possible to be successful without being driven by fear, for sure. But but. Uh, uh, I think that I think I'm often doing a better job now, not being driven by it, uh, because it also makes you take maybe bigger risks and, and things like that, where you're not as, as fearful. And in startups and in scaleups and, and stuff like that, you know, you need to take risks. If you want the big rewards, you need to take the big risks. And if you're less scared, you're more open to doing that. Right? There are there are two ways that uh, to approach fear. 
that have always stuck in my head. Um, you could either go with a kind of a Buddhist way of looking at fear or a Stoic way of looking at fear. So if you're uh, if you have a a Buddhist way of looking at fear, you will accept fear. You will you will live with fear. There's a there's a story about um, uh, Milarepa. Uh, I think I think Milarepa was uh, one of the Buddha's teachers or something. And um, uh, demons come to Milarepa's cave, and uh, he's trying to get rid of them all. And he kind of uh, he sh- he shoes a few away, and they manage to. But there's one massive demon who still waits. And um, uh, and uh, the the demon said said to him, I'll, "I'll mess it up." But he said something along the lines of, "I will uh, I will leave if you if you uh, if you let me eat you." Uh, and Milarepa put his head in the demon's mouth, and the demon disappeared, um, as if to say you should you should fully accept accept fear. Um, the other is more of a, a stoic way of approaching fear, as if fear is something to be conquered. It's the, the obstacle is the way. Like it's the these things that we fear are the are the directions that we should take ourselves in. Both are so noble. Both in different parts of of life feel like wonderful ways of of thinking through problems but yet both are the complete opposite (laughs) it's hard to know which one to follow sometimes yeah i think it's a really good point Uh, well put yeah what am i i I think i I think i'm probably both or or i apply both i think when when i had a lot of worries at, at times my my wonderful wife like she did a lot of like like you know meditate accept it and 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 that kind of works right especially when to me when it's unclear what it is you're afraid of kind of just accepting it tends to work for me but i'm also a strong believer of like i used to work with this when i worked in sales i had this guy like always do the most difficult first the first things in the morning and just like tackle the difficult things and the fears head on and train that muscle and there's, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that too. So, so I, I wish I had a, I don't think I have a strong, I think I probably use both, uh, but, but uh, I think it's a really well way of putting it. What is, what do you think around this? I, I think it d- does depend on the circumstance. I mean, let's, if you were to take um, a decision about, uh, well, but it, I guess it also depends on what you're motivated by. Like, the, the, For example, the two of us are, are probably, uh, half of us wants to wants to not not be so ambitious, and half of us likes being ambitious. Um, that's a, gr- a great assumption. Um, and uh, if that's the case, then uh, then I I want to tackle fear. I want fear to to be something that I can overcome because I want to move forward and progress and and make something. Uh, but the the other is no, I don't I don't want that. I want to accept it. I want to live with it. I want to be next to it. I want to embrace it. I mean, if I was making a decision about where to work next, I um, what would I want? Which which would I rather? Would I rather accept? Would I rather look towards the future and accept fear or try and overcome it? That's really interesting, actually, because my initial reaction was to say that I would want to overcome it because that's progress and something I could move towards. But actually, if I continue doing that, I'm only ever going to move in a direction that is fearful. I'm only ever going to go towards things I, I I am scared of. Whereas actually, if I accept those fears and I live with them, 
maybe I can start to be motivated by things that are, are more positive. Yeah. But, but both ways, in a way, tackles the fear head on, doesn't it? Like none of them is going in a different way. It's not going away from the demon or no, avoiding from... it. Yeah. So, so one, maybe one could argue that both are, are headed, tackling them head on just in different ways. Mm. Unless your acceptance really does accept it truly and, and you and you then do, it's like a sidekick and you really don't see it. You just crack on with whatever direction you want to go in if, if you really truly can accept it. Yeah. Is there any way that you've learned to develop an awareness of your emotions as you go through making decisions or creating relationships? Because it's so easy to say that we should be aware of our emotions and use them in certain circumstances or not but it's so difficult to know how yeah i thought i was very aware to be honest if i look back five years i thought i had full control of it uh it's like how difficult can it be i can see when i'm getting upset but but the, the more i dug and the more i talked about it the more i saw these situations where like my 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 judgment on certain subjects would change dramatically just based on my general feeling about the person or, or situation i realized that i was a lot more run by emotions than, than i wasn't so now i i actually is you know not so much in in personal situations uh, i do it there as well but especially in, in professional situations whenever i feel myself having a really strong opinion i i, I become very suspicious <laughs> <laughs> And I think I've trained myself to kind of see these. Uh, I, I for sure miss a lot of them, but it's more like, you know, if it's, it's on the level 10 scale of up or down, then it's probably something else than just this thing. And, and I become very suspicious. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, and then and then I think also the the, the, the relationship I, I you build with the people around you. So like actually the conversation I had right before this one between the um, boss I had an interview and then I spoke with a, with a close colleague and we discussed the meeting we had yesterday. It's like, you know, how did I come off there? Like, what did, did that, what I said there, would that even make sense? Like, what, you know, and you, you seek that feedback um, uh, continuously to kind of hold other people because sometimes you blind yourself, but, but you, uh, you want to surround yourself with people who can call that out. Um, Got to have some courage to do that. Yeah, but we, we 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 are quite good at those types of things here. But we also like we had another meeting yesterday where we kind of just assign. Okay, Ulov, you look at it from this angle. You look at it uh, from Arun. You look at it from a bias angle, and you look at it from. The, we discuss a topic, and everyone had to kind of really take on that hat to see make sure that we, you know, we we caught the catch biases or you know how it fits with the operating model or strategy or whatever it might be, so so that people are actively challenging ourselves from those you know, to make sure that the decision becomes as good as possible. So I think there are those types of simple tricks that you, that you can use, but, but of course it's, it's, it's not a hundred percent covering. How did you navigate it when you were, when you got to the point where you decided that you didn't want to be driven by fear day to day and you made the call to join Plio when you did like how, how did that manifest? How did you, what period of time were you aware of it when did you make the final decision and and how did how did you get the courage to make it 
So I think they're not 100% related. Uh, decision maybe to join PLEO and, and avoidance of fear. But I, I do think a lot because I think one, you know, there's always a choice to like join a company, right? But, but I think there's a continuous choice to stay, right? And I think, you know, joining PLEO, it was very emotional. It's like, um, you know, I remember I had a chat with, yeah, I actually turned PLEO down first because like, who cares about expense management, right? But, but uh, then, then I had a chat with, with Jeppe and he kind of like really laid out the vision and got me super excited. And it's like, this is, you know, this can be huge. We can do all these great things and you seem like a great person to work with. So like, you know, it was, it was a very emotional based decision in that sense. Uh, and then, um, then, you know, I continuously choose to stay, right? And then I spend a lot more time and I was like, why do I stay, right? And, and what do I seek in my working life? And I think this will be different for different people. But, but to me, I, I think a lot about actually a few things, right? I want to solve problems I find challenging, right? I want to work with people that I like, I like to solve those problems with people I like. I think people life is too short to not do that. Uh, and um, I want there to be like, limitless potential you know i don't like feeling boxed now we do a great job and it becomes this big right i want it to be like okay we do a great job but it can go huge that 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 entices me and of course you know the, the good financial and upside also is because of the practical things right and and as long as pleo kind of meets those and and my last one is just like and I, this one is probably I'm, the one i'm i'm changing most of the last period but like I wanted to have at least, I feel like it's something positive for the world. And I feel PLEO is, but it's, it's not like we're solving climate change. There are better things you can do, so we, we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, kid ourselves on, on that too much. But, but I do think it has a positive impact on work culture and people's lives and stuff like that. So, so those, like if PLEO, if a company meets those criteria, they become, they become interesting. And, and as long as PLEO meet them, I would want, probably want to stay. If they let me, right? Uh, so, so I kind of try to build my framework for that. So, and I think everyone needs to find their own uh, what they appreciate. But, but to me, they go back to almost like these basic human things, right? Like you know, we sat around the fires and hunted together and did solve things together, and that's what kind of brings happiness. And um, when you were. Uh... A Klarna before, like, how did you? What what was the tipping point? When did it reach a point where you were like, okay, I want to make a change here? And how did you know that that time had come? I think I had a I had a long. I was a Klarna for seven years, right? And I think there's a lot of fantastic things I, I learned about learned from my time there a lot of things I've, I've taken with me but I'd also been there for seven years and I think for my last nine months or so I also don't think I, I my passion wasn't there anymore it was along the time when I realized like my you know I'm driven by my fear why am I working around the clock what a 
like I have a hard, I had a hard time answering the question why, uh, which also I think really impacted my work. I don't think I was doing as good of a work anymore, and uh, I wasn't as passionate about it anymore. I was you know, still scared to leave, but in the end, it was seven years. So you, I felt like now is now is the time. Like I don't see the big reason to stay. Hmm. And now that you've kind of gone through both of those experiences, both leaving Klarna and then joining Plio, there's a there's a kind of there's a challenge that we all meet at some point where we like what when's enough enough like how do you know what satisfaction is to you like do you have a do you have an this kind of goal that you're headed towards or is is there like this thing that you want to have achieved that you where you're not quite there yet or does the goal keep moving no it's so I think there's like there's like two levels. So one is the first level I describe, and that one is kind of more constant. The problems will change, even the people might change and whatnot. But as long as you're kind of in that setting, I, I personally get a lot of satisfaction. Um, and and I'm I'm I don't like there are things that you know I want to when I leave Plio I feel like I want to accomplish right you know I want to leave it with a fantastic product that I want to use I want it to be a you know, a company that I feel proud of and I would recommend to my friends working at. And then I have a few of these things that, you know, I really want to accomplish at Plio as such. But but I'm a much more I'm a much more person also I think in, in how I run my teams and how I evaluate people and, and how I try to steer myself. I focus a lot more on the inputs than 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 maybe the the outputs. And I think it has a little bit to do with, you know, the you know, product that, as a profession. Like, you know, if you, if you really understand the customer, if you have a great team with healthy conflicts, you have good ideas, you move fast, you know, the predictor of success is, is that's a very good predictor of success versus like, oh, well, we just launched this one feature and it managed to hit the metrics. But we did all the other things poor because there are so many things outside of your control. So we need to manage a lot of inputs. Um, and I'm also a huge fan of the book, like the score takes care of itself, which which talks about this football team in the, in the 80s, where it came in and they were asked like, you know, what is your goal? When are you going to win the, you know, the league? And the guy is like, no, I have no idea. But I'm gonna do all these things. I'm gonna like, you know, make sure that every linebacker we break down what they need to be good at, they train at that, and really, really make sure that all parts of the whole organization really was optimized the inputs. And they created the most successful um, dynasty in, in American football history, right? Um, and and I, I approach my life the same way as well. I'm not the person who's like, it's all like this goal, I wanna accomplish this, I wanna do that goal. I wanna make sure that the things I put into my work of my life are as good as possible. The quality of the work as good as possible, the time, the relationships, the problems. And I trust that that will lead to good outcomes. Um, Has it always been that way? No, it has not. <laughs> Uh, I I uh, I used to be the opposite way. Uh, I, I used to be an athlete in my twenties, 
and you would judge your whole thing about like did you win or lose that match right and you know the success was purely measured on on wins of tournaments and stuff like that and uh and you know, you start really right. It's like it's not fully under your control, but you control how much you practice. You control how much you, how good you become. And then what happens in the game happens in the game. But uh, but but I really was the other way around. And and the same, I think in school, it'd be like, oh, you know, I did this math test and it's I passed and it was easy. And I wouldn't study. And it's like, oh well, you know what I mean. I got the I got the grade anyways. You know, but I think there's a completely wrong way to think about life. Um. Uh, you need to really focus on what can you do as good as possible. It doesn't mean that you can't dream. It doesn't mean that you know we have a strong vision of where we want to take the product or uh, life life I, I I dream of. But but what I spend ninety percent of my focus time is on on the inputs. They do sound mutually exclusive at times. Sometimes. Um, but. I think that, that maybe they could be, but a, a practical example of how we run our product teams, right? We we've documented like every, each team has their KPIs. They have their their you know things they want to accomplish on on an outcome basis. But we've also been very explicit about these are the things when we evaluate you as a, as a PM. Those are only one sub part of what we look at. We look as much on these things, so we expect to see good things there. So, so I think they can be complementary. But uh... do you think that you had to live focused on outputs in order to see the value of living through inputs? I don't know. I don't know. I had a I had a dinner this week with. Um, um, a PM that used to work for me. Now is the founder of another company. He's like 23 years old, super smart guy. And that we were having some of these the discussions around, you know, what you're driven about and, and fear and those types of things. And like he, he was, you know, when I was 23, I had not realized any of those things. Right. Um, it took me many more years to, to kind of get the, reach that stage of maturity in those in those things. So I don't know if you have to really live them or or first do the mistake to then get to the thing maybe uh, uh, i think sometimes we overrate i think uh, experience i think you can learn a lot from speaking to people and you can accelerate the journey through theory through interactions through various things i don't think you necessarily have to play beach volleyball for 10 years and to figure it out but but um yeah there's a um there's a, a a founder I know who has, uh, who said to me recently that they felt that they were finding it really tough because they had like 15, 20 years worth of experience, but they felt that at this moment in time, they were only ever as good as their experience in the last nine months. And that in the, in this moment, things were moving so fast and they were learning so much that it was it was just that it was just that period of time and i'm thinking at the time that's so appropriate to so many other walks of life it, that this this length of experience that we say we have is is nowhere near as valuable as society perhaps kind of puts on it and, and it's it's way more uh 
about your current circumstance. Yeah, I think I think the way I think about it is that there's different types of experiences. So I think an experience in in a craft, like you know, organizational structures that you have done, or methodologies, or way to run things, and whatnot. I've seen at play, I've done it myself, I've seen it wherever I go that, you know, you will have leaders coming in, they have a playbook, like, you know, these are the solutions we're going to apply here, right? I did it myself. I actually can't speak for anyone else at play, but I know I did it myself. It's like, this worked really well at Klarna, I'm going to implement it at play, right? Half of it worked, half of it didn't, right? Because at the end of the day, you need to, you need to start with what is the problem you're trying to solve. Where, where are you trying to go? And then you, you, you put the appropriate solution to that. And I think experience can be a, you know, a, a tool bank of things to draw from. But, but it's very rarely that you can just apply things or you can take your experience from one place and apply it straight to another. But it, but it trains you to maybe see some patterns. It trains you to have more, more solutions in mind. But, but really a strong believer like if you're a good first principle thinker that is more worth if you're good strong more good first principle thinker with some experience the tool banks to draw from you'll probably move faster right i think that's one type of experience and i think other experiences might be you know being in really difficult situations with people and, and those things are harder to kind of like argue from first principles because they are emotional experiences. You know, have I done things where I've gone through difficult times with people or this person struggling at home and it impacted me this way or like where, where you kind of live through pains and joys uh, as a leader. And, and those kind of experience I think are, are they are they, you can't read yourself to them and you can't really copy them or argue them from first principles if you're really smart you 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 have to experience them to to understand how you will react in that situation so 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 i, I view different experiences differently and i think when when we think a lot about hiring you know we, we often ask the questions but for our senior leaders like what would you not bring from your old company Right. What, what, just to check if, if they're a person who's just going to come in with a bunch of solutions or are there someone who can adapt to the very, very fast moving space we're in. It's interesting that those leaders that are coming in, they're, they are making, they're, they're at a point where they're making a choice about where they, where they want to work. And they kind of have two ways of looking at things. The first is they could look at their own experience and say, and in some ways driven by insecurity in a way oh, what am i good at what am i what are my strengths and like where can i apply them and uh and so that question then will then be extraordinarily disarming because you're asking them what, like where where would they not use those strengths which is really difficult but a different way that someone could approach that that scenario is they could say well instead of me thinking what i'm really good at and trying to apply it why don't i try and figure out which problems are in some way related to the problems that I've solved in the past, because there's likely to be as much crossover between those problems as as possible. It, it's the, it's that empathy thing again. It's like how can you actually just take a moment and think what what the other side needs rather than what you have. Yeah, yeah. No, but to me, it's, that resonates a lot because to me, it's like what problems are fun to solve, like. 
you know, which ones do you want to tackle? And, and uh, am I, do I have the skills to be able to tackle them? Right? Yeah, so I think that that resonates a lot with me. Is there a thread that you've seen that defines people who are typically more successful? I think it's a good question. I, I think you can be successful in many ways and, and you need to play to your strengths. But, but I think there are a couple of core things I've seen and I, and I stole this from a guy named Shreyas on, on Twitter actually, who I recommend following. But it resonated a lot with me. And he kind of made two axes. So one was, was your skills, you know, how good are you in your craft and your skills? And the other one was your, your agency, which a lot was defined or be interpreting as your ability to, to still find a way and the ability to take ownership of something and then making things happen. And I've seen a lot of people in my career who are fantastic at their, at their craft, but they don't get anything done. And they get very like, there's always these like frustrated geniuses. And it's like, oh, well, you know, because of this or because of that or because of this structure or because I didn't get that, it didn't happen. Right. And I think the environments I work in, the, the, we're growing really fast. Things are changing. Processes are not in place. There's like a hundred reasons why you can't get something done. But on the flip side, there's a hundred ways you can get things done. And I, and I think people who, who have that high agency, that thinks like an owner, find ways outside of the processes where, where needed, tend to be tremendously more successful than the people who, who are high skilled but, but lower agency. Even the people who are high ownership and low skills usually do better than the high skilled ones, to the frustration of the high skilled ones. And, and, and if you both are then very skilled and have high agency, you, you will go anywhere in the company, anywhere in career. And then I think that is something I really try to, to talk with people in, in, in Plio and, and, and with, with my direct reports and my team. It's like, there's a way, find a way. Think like Yep, think like Nico. And, and that to me is probably the biggest, if I were to look over my career, that's the, the, the one biggest determinator. It's actually the opposite of what I, th that, that final axis is the opposite of what I thought you were going to say, because it's uh, typically you've laid off skills on it, but then I, I've seen more of those graphs that say skills and then what you enjoy. And I was really interested to think about agency because in some ways agency is like a lot of the time what you don't enjoy if you've got a hundred reasons why you can't get something done it's not very fun to like or at least the mindset that you have in that moment is oh there's loads of stuff going on you know i can't it's hard to get this through and in some ways like we kind of uh, we kind of kid ourselves if we say that there's a, an axis which is skills and things that you enjoy because they are purely based on you there's like you're, all of that stuff is in within your control but agency the interesting part is that what you're saying effectively is like yeah, okay, have your skills, have your individual part, but that has to meet the needs of the world at some point. An agency is how can you pierce the needs of the world with those skills? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, and, and this might not be true if you work in a, in a really big company where all these processes are in place and you don't need a high agency and you can just leverage your skills. But 
but not in the environments I've seen. You, you, you won't get things done in the pace um, and you will find excuses not to if you don't. And, and this, is, this is harder to coach, to be honest. Uh, at least in my experience, I haven't been able great at coaching this more than kind of informing them and showing them. But, but skills you can learn, right? Agency is, is sometimes harder to coach. In my opinion, so if if you if you it's also it's a mindset thing, right? And if you just go in with that attitude, then you, you at least at a company like Plio, you you tend to be very successful. My final question is: What are you optimizing for now? Yeah. No, but I optimize in my work life. Work life very much for the for the things i said earlier like work working on problems that interest me with people i like that to me gives me gives me a lot of satisfaction uh, when i do that and and uh, so, so that is probably the one of the core things uh, for me personally to optimize for and just then i'm optimized for you know different things in plio strategy wise and whatnot right but but on a personal level that's that gives, I found, give me the most energy. Uh, then I also I have an eight-year-old daughter. So to be honest, by looking at the whole thing, I also optimize my work life to be able to spend time with her. So I will have, I you know, will block off time between five and eight every day and uh, be able to drop her off at school and stuff like that. And then I'll have to take a meeting late at night or, or work on the weekends if, if needed, as long as like I have certain times that, that I get with her. So from a total level, it's, it's um, doing work with people I like that in tackling problems I'm passionate about and, and making sure that um, I have time with my daughter. It's, it's a very simple equation. Those are the things I'm going for. I think the thing that will um, will stick with me most from this conversation is the where relationships intersect with decision-making uh, and how we don't make these decisions in a vacuum, but we make them in a wider context. And the second thing I think I'll I remember is your clarity on uh, finding people whose intentions are good and who uh, are honest. Um, and if we can go about our working life finding people whose intentions are good and uh, who communicate in an honest way, uh, we'll get, be in a good place. Thank you so much for breaking it all down. Thank you for asking lots of interesting questions and giving your own perspectives as well. All right, man. All right. Have a good rest of the day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. The Best Work Podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work Podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at cord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.